All right. So last time I preached, I preached 48 minutes. So I've been watching the Olympics, and uh, I'm, I'm about to break my PR. Not really. I'm going to set this, so hopefully I don't go that long. All right. Um, all right. You guys could turn your Bibles to Psalm 1. That is on page 448, if you're using the Bibles beneath your chairs. And I want you guys, as you're doing that, to multitask and imagine a, a scene, all right? You're walking into a courtroom, um, and there are two different people that walk, two different types of people that walk into this courtroom. There's righteous or, and wicked. It's pretty black and white. There's no middle ground. And God sits at the, uh, judge's seat, and he is a perfect judge. So I want you to think, which one of those categories are you? All right? Um, and I'm going to read this, and then we'll pray, and we'll dive into it, all right? It says here, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and that it is the way that uh, you choose to speak to us and that it's still relevant. And I just pray that you would help me to articulate the truth of this passage accurately and that you would calm my nerves and uh, just help me to um, say what you want to say and uh, just take me just out of the picture and just speak um, to the congregation. And I love you in your name. Amen. All right. So the courtroom scene, right? Hold that in your mind as we run through this passage, all right? So it starts off by saying, blessed is the man. So we're going to start off at the beginning of this passage by talking about the way of the godly or the way of the righteous person, all right? Um, and one thing I want you to remember is that this isn't prescriptive in the sense of this isn't telling you how to be righteous. It's describing something. It's descriptive. So um, it's not like if you do these things, you're righteous. That would be uh, kind of against what the gospel says, right? Because we're only made righteous through Christ. Um, but this is describing someone who is righteous, all right? So it starts off by saying, uh, blessed. That word blessed actually uh, is often translated as satisfied or happy. Um, and so it's not so much like blessed with like blessings, you know, but it's more of happy, satisfied. And so the first point under the type of person a godly person is, is that person is satisfied in the Lord. Satisfied in the Lord, because blessed equals happy. So, uh, a psalm that came to my mind that's not Psalm 1, but it's kind of parallel to this idea of being blessed in the Lord, is Psalm 78. And in Psalm 78, it talks about how um, it's actually a psalm that uh, the psalmist was trying to get them to remember what God had done. Oh, that fan turned off and it got really quiet. <laughs> um, and the, the psalmist is trying to get uh, the Israelites in, this, in Psalm 78 to remember what God had done. And one of the things he does is he reminds them of all the wonderful works that, that God has done. You know, he, he uh, spread the waters apart so that you could walk across them. He performed amazing miracles in Egypt. And 
what happens is when the, when the people forget what God has done, they actually end up uh, worshiping the things that he gives them instead of worshiping him. They say, hey, you gave us uh, manna. Could you not also furnish meat for our tables and do all this stuff? Well, God didn't give them those things so that they could be satisfied in meat, right? He gave them those things so that they could find their, find their satisfaction in him, ultimately. And so um, the man is satisfied in the Lord. And anything that, he's, that we gain from God apart from him is meant to funnel our affections towards him, right? So... Uh, that's the first point. The way of the godly. The righteous man is satisfied in the Lord. Two, he is separated from the world. It says here, uh, it gives you this parallel, um, three parallel lines of uh, descript- describers that are like in the negative. It says here, he walks, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And uh, when we're talking about counsel of the wicked here, um, a lot of things come to mind, uh, but I think the main thing to take from that is that you're, you're refusing secular beliefs that run uh, against kind of what the gospel is saying. And I work, I saw counsel, right? And I work at Hannibal Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. So I, I naturally thought, well, there's a lot of weird packets that I've seen <laughs> at my work and, and even stuff that the secular counselors disagree with. You know, like, they're like, that. yeah, that's definitely not even true in our, in our worldview, right? Um, and I brought something, and I want to show you guys, you know, some of what I'm talking about here. And this is sort of like a packet that was, like, hidden really deep underneath a bunch of other stuff that, like, nobody's used probably in years. But this is sort of like what I thought of when I thought of, like, the counsel of the wicked, because it runs completely contrary to the gospel. Uh, it says here, at the top of it, it says, top 10 affirmations for self-esteem. All right? Today, I am capable of handling anything that happens. Oh, wow. All right? I feel like that's not even really helpful for the people that this is meant, meant for. This is meant for people that are struggling with addictions, right? Like, are you really capable of handling everything that happens? Why are you here? You know? Um, nobody is truly capable of handling everything that happens. What if, what, if, what if somebody dies in your family unexpectedly? Like, you need help with that. Like, that's, that's just not even a true statement in the secular world, you know? All right. I'm in control of my life story. Whoa. Like, that's not true. That's just not, that's not factual. Like, for one, we don't believe that as Christians because we believe God's ultimately in control. Um, but if you're in control of your life story and you're, and you're struggling with, like, especially, like, addiction, like, cure yourself, you know? Um, some of these are okay. Like, I don't know. I'm worthy of true love. Like, that's a good one. Um, I am supported by the universe. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> that's just ambiguous. I don't know. Um, I feel good about who I am. Maybe that, that's true. I don't know. Um, my life is wonderful. Like, no. Like, maybe sometimes life is difficult, and maybe sometimes we should lament. And, you know, you're... You're, if you're struggling with like anything, but especially like ad- addiction, like it's okay to like lament, and and that's what brings us to come to the God who ultimately supp- supplements that, supplements our souls. And um, I'm capable of creating and maintaining a great life. Um, I'm beautiful inside and out. Nah, that's not bad. I'm a divine being of light. What? Uh, um, and then. I'm extremely successful in all my ventures. This person is not honest, though. 
Uh, and I am unconditionally loved by the universe. I create my own reality. Yeah. Uh, they get pretty, they just keep getting worse and worse. So that gives you like a, a little snapshot of that. There's also a packet I have in here that I'm just going to kind of reference. Um, it talks about the 12 steps and part of like the, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, book, they, they want to be open to everyone so everybody can do the practical things in the book, which they're just practical ways of living life, the steps. Um, but you have to be open to spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection, they say. And so they kind of include your own con conception of God. It can be anything. It can be the Christian God. It can be um, the Muslim God or anything. And I'm not here just to bash that, because honestly, you could be sober if you're a Muslim by living the 12 things. But as far as like the, the, uh, the sufficient like recovery that I would want, like I think that's only, personally, I think that's only uh, comes from God, right? But there is a packet in here that says your own inner conscience can be your higher power. And that really encapsulates all of these other thoughts. It's, it's saying God doesn't exist. You're God. You're God. That's what it's saying. Like, that's the wisdom of the world. It's you're God. And, uh, that's honestly the first, that's what happened in the garden, right? I mean, what did Satan say to the people? He said, um, you'll become like gods. Like, if you eat that fruit, you're not going to die. You're going to become like gods. And that's why they did it, you know. Uh, it all comes down to um, saying, God's way is not good. I'm going to make my own reality. I'm going to become God. My way is better. And that's the wisdom of the world. But the godly man refuses secular belief. So this is still under the point of he is separated from the world, right? Refuses secular belief and does not stand in the way of sinners. Um, so these other two thoughts right beneath this, these negatives, it says, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. Uh, Spurgeon actually mentions that uh, th this is almost like a digression down into more depravity. Like, um, it starts off, you're just walking in the counsel of the wicked. So you're just listening to negative things that are just falsehood. And then, eventually, you're standing in the same way that sinners stand. You're operating the same way they operate. And then, ultimately, what that leads to, because if you hear things that are lies and you don't address them with the truth, if you don't preach the gospel to your soul, eventually you're going to act in the way that says like you believe those things. You're going to believe them, and then you're going to act accordingly. Um, and then ultimately, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, which is like seems to be the strongest ex example here of, uh, of sin given in this passage. Uh, and that's like, you know, the Bible has a lot of things to say about scoffers. God says he rejects the proud um, and that's really what that is, like scoffing at God, scoffing at the gospel. This is, this is stupid, whatever. Um, as a direct um, antithesis to those thoughts is the next line. Verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, point three. So I'll recap real quick. Point one, the godly man is saturated or satisfied in the Lord. Two, He's separated from the world. Three is where we're at now. He's saturated in the word. Um, so here, um, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So he delights in it. Um, and he meditates on it day and night. So I have this book that I think I brought up here. Yes, perfect. And it really captures um, what I think this guy's talking about, the psalmist. 
if it's if it might be a girl, I don't know. I think it's a guy, but maybe not. Uh, and hopefully, I can find my spot because I just lost it. One sec. Well, aha. So on meditating on scripture, okay? And this really says it better than I ever could. This is uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. It's a good book. I recommend it. All right, check it out. Meditating on scripture. This is one of the most compelling concepts on prayer I've ever learned. Meditation is the missing link between Bible intake and prayer. The two are often disjointed when they should be intertwined or, or united. We read the Bible, close it, then try to shift gears into prayer. But many times it seems as if the gears between the two won't mesh. In fact, after some forward progress in our time in the Word, shifting to prayer sometimes is like suddenly moving back into neutral or even reverse. Instead, there should be a smooth, almost unnoticeable transition between Scripture input and prayer output so that we move even closer to God in these moments. This happens when there is a link between, uh, when there's a link of meditation in between. At least two scriptures plainly teach this by example, and he talks about Psalm 5.1, which David says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. And the word sighing there can be like usually translated as meditation. So give words to my meditation. And uh, it says in Psalm 19.14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Um, and so I was thinking about things I meditate over in general. And uh, I know the entire 25-man roster of the St. Louis Cardinals. Like, I know their stats, I know their averages, I know all the pitchers, ERAs, um, I know who, the, who they're good against, like, their matchups, and, and, like, I meditate on the Cardinals, you know, like, uh, but I don't meditate on Scripture as much. But I think, and, and honestly, if I'm, if I'm really honest, until recently, like, I, I, I'm not as, as prayerful as I want to be, right? And I'm still going to struggle with that going forward, probably, but I think combining the two disciplines together, like meditating on the word can funnel and focus our prayers. And uh, praying through the word can help give life to uh, the scriptures. And so practically, like that's what we should do. And the same way that this guy says, a righteous person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night, that should be like what we do. Because that's what's going to make us into the following. It says here in verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So uh, this is the similar, similar language found in Matthew, um, where Jesus uh, describes a, a tree bearing fruit. And um, if a tree bears good fruit, it's a good tree. And if a tree bears bad fruit, it's probably a bad tree. And ultimately, the bad trees are thrown into a fire. And I can imagine, like we say that almost like it's like this whatever. But I imagine the original audience was more moved, <laughs> you know, like, what? That's, that's some strong stuff, Jesus. Um, and, uh, but I think one important thing to take from this is that I think it's tied into the delight in the law. Like, the delight in God's word, that's the stream, you know, like our stream is, comes from delighting in the word in the gospel. Um, it's hard to uh, drink enough water in a day. It's impossible to drink enough water in a day to last you a month right? Um, and obviously, like, the gospel covers any sin, like, in, in any disobedience that we would have if we were inconsistent reading the Bible, but we should long to do that. Like, because of the gospel, we should desire to, to read and delight in the law of the Lord, and ultimately, if we believe the gospel, that our desires will change, and we will delight in the law of the Lord. 
and delight in God's word. Um, and I, I think this could be discouraging if you approach it in, in, in not maybe the best way, because it says it yields fruit in season. And sometimes I feel like um, many of you can probably empathize with this, but um, whenever fruit doesn't seem to be happening, like whenever you're sharing the gospel or whatever, and people don't seem to be responding to it like you want, it might seem like you're doing something wrong, but it's in its season. You know, like you have to have a a bigger picture. You can't just look at the moment because sometimes, uh, yeah, fruit won't be yielded in that time, but eventually that that will come. But here it says, its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Um, one thing before I forget about it, because I've already gone over this three times and I already didn't mention this, but the word planted is often translated as transplanted. And I think that's important because it's not like we planted ourselves. We were transplanted out of like bad soil into next to a stream, this, this, the gospel, you know, and uh, that's an action that's done for us. And because of that, um, we are, we're stable, you know, we, we produce and uh, we, we're consistent and we ultimately prosper. And I say ultimately prosper because if we say that like we're going to prosper in the moment every time, that's just a lie. And also the Psalms, especially lots of Davidic Psalms, talk about the enigma of, of uh, evil people prospering on earth, you know, and he's like mad about it. <laughs> like he's upset about like, man, I, these evil people prosper, um, but we're talking about ultimate prosperity. Even on earth, we might suffer. Um, in fact, we will suffer. But ultimately, we will prosper in the end. So that's the way of the righteous, all right? So maybe you're seeing yourself as that person in the courtroom. Great. Let's keep going. The way of the god ungodly. So keep remembering that courtroom scene from the beginning. Uh, the way of the ungodly. It says here, the wicked are not so. So they're not like the tree. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So first point under the way of ungodly is they are corrupted internally. And it says they're like chaff. So chaff, um, we're not really agrarian people like they were in the original time this was written. Um, Some of you might be farmers, so you might know what chaff is. I had to look it up. But chaff is like the part of the plant that is useless. It it kind of, it's it's useless, it's unusable, and it just falls off the plant whenever they're, the farmer is uh, like getting the good stuff out of it. And ultimately, it either is burnt or blown away by the wind, or it's burnt up in a fire. So it's sort of a evocative of the same kind of language Jesus used about the bad trees and the good trees. Uh, so that's what chaff is. I, always, I was talking to Sean about this, and uh, he brought to mind, for some of you guys that are coffee makers, whenever you uh, roast the coffee... The, the outside husk falls off. And that's sort of like the same thing. You, the, the bean is the part you want, and the husk is useless and uh, not usable. So um, he is corrupted internally like chaff. Um, the wind drives away. And then the next few lines here, it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, point two. He's corrupted internally is point one. Point two, he is condemned judicially. It says he will not stand in judgment. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be judged. Like when I first read it, I was like, so they're not going to be judged? Uh, <laughs> no, they're not able to rise up in the judgment because it's so severe. 
um, they won't be standing there. You know, they're going to be done away with. Um, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So they can't participate in the blessings of that the righteous people bless, are participating in, which is a relationship with God. Um, so they won't stand in the they won't stand with the righteous. And then the third point under that, so he's corrupted internally, he's condemned judicially. Three, he is damned eternally. Eternally damned. And because um, it says here, the way of the wicked will perish. In the same way that the chaff is blown away or ultimately burnt up in a fire, that is the expectations for those who are wicked. So back to the courtroom scene, all right? So when I first read this, I was like, oh, I walk in the council of the I walk in the council of the wise, so I don't walk in the council of the wicked, and so I'm good, you know. Then I was like, stand in the way of sinners. Sometimes, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes I've been the scoffer, you know. Sometimes I've actually subscribed to wicked ideas too, you know. I mean, then I was like, oh man, I'm not the righteous one. <laughs> so then I was like, I'm the wicked one because. I can't. I don't have perfect adherence to any of those three things. For the record, this is not a comprehensive list. There are so many other ways that things that righteous people do, or the righteous one does, and there are so many other things that wicked people do. Right? There's we can come up with creative ways to sin. All right. Um, and then I realized that you guys ever, you guys, some of you are college age, so you're closer to high school than other people. Um, do you guys, have you guys ever experienced that, that feeling whenever you're in a hallway and, uh, usually, I don't know, usually it's like a pretty girl waves in your direction and you're like, <laughs> hey, and then you're like, look over your shoulder and she's waving at the person behind you. Like, uh, I feel like, like in high school, I was always George McFly and Biff was like right on my shoulder every time. And I'm like, why am I never the guy getting waved at through the guy? Like I'm always in front of the real person being waved at. Um, well, that's kind of what's happening here. We read this and we're like, oh, it's waving at us because we're the blessed man. But really, it's waving through us at Christ. Christ is the ultimate blessed man because he does have perfect adherence to, I kid you not, I got crazy goosebumps right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Christ is the ultimate blessed man because he's completely, perfectly satisfied in the Lord. He is uh, ideologically separated from the world always. He never succumbs to falsehood or false teaching. Um, he never stands in the way that sinner, sinners stand. He uh, never sits in the seat of scoffers. And he is always saturated in the word. You know, you have these images of Christ having to withdraw from groups of people just so he could be with the Lord to get energized. And like, that is not my response, you know? Uh, typically, I turn to other things that I can control, you know? I try to make myself the God in that, in that situation. I try to control things, and ultimately, I'm controlled by them, right? Until I repent. You know, like, if I'm anxious, I'm not going to go to the Lord instinctively. No, I'm going to worry myself into a feeling of, con of contentment. Like, and that's just insanity. So, uh, he is the, right, the blessed man. And so, in this courtroom... Uh, scene, what we really need to imagine, instead of imagining ourselves as the righteous ones, imagine, um, imagine all of us are, are the wicked ones, and Jesus is the only righteous one, and God, who is a perfect judge, 
uh, has to punish sin. So if you have a good judge on earth and uh, they know that a crime happened and they don't uh, punish that crime, they, don't, if they know a murder happened, right? And they say, well, I'm letting you off. Like, that's unjust. That shouldn't happen. Um, well, in the same way, God is a perfect judge. That was a human example. So a perfect judge has to punish sin, and he has to do it appropriately. And so we are condemned at the stand, and, and then Jesus walks in. And that's the gospel. Jesus walks in, and he says, because of what I've done, because of the perfect life that I've lived, because I've, I've always done these things, I've been perfect, ultimately, that because this person has faith in that, and I died, they can have my perfection. It's not that like he takes away the sin, because if that was the case, well, I mess up today. I go negative again, right? Um, no, he makes us perfect. And so in the same way that Christ is the blessed man in this passage, and he does all the things that the he doesn't do any of the things that the wicked do, he does take the punishment that the wicked deserve. He became like chaff. He became human and frail. And ultimately he perished. <laughs> which is like the punishment they deserve um, for us. And because of that, we are, um, we are imparted with his grace. We get his perfection if we believe that. Um, and so I want to really quickly turn to a cr- little cross-reference there. Uh, Philippians 2, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, but I think it has a great example of this. Um, it says here... Um, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's like the picture of the gospel right there. And in the same way that I want to make myself God of my life, in the same way that I want to say, like, I create my own destiny and all that, God, uh, Jesus did not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped, even though he had equality with God. Instead, he lowered himself, but not just to the point of just a normal human, a slave, and not just any slave, a slave unto death, and not just any death, the worst type of death, death on the cross. And uh, if you believe that, then you are able to not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You're able to not stand in the way of sinners. You're able to not sit in the seat of scoffers. But if you don't believe that, you can't be righteous. You can't be satisfied in God. It's impossible. You can't be like the tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You can't be a leaf that does not wither. Ultimately, you if you never believe this, you will... According to the Bible, you will you will stand you will not stand in the judgment. You will um, not participate in the congregation of the righteous, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, um, let's see where we're at here. Um, and so, I want to encourage you guys to um, we're about ready to take the Lord's supper. And for those of you that are new here, um, first of all, I'm not the normal guy that preaches. Uh, I'm just filling in for him. But also, we take communion every single week. And not every church does that. You're not required to take communion every week. But the reason why we take communion, it, it doesn't impart grace to us. We don't get anything, like, we don't get grace from eating bread and drinking juice. But uh, when when Christ, um, 
was speaking with the disciples at the Last Supper. He told them to eat of the bread and drink of the, of the wine um, in order to remember what he had done. Because he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's why we do it every week, because we want to remember it every week. We want to recall that. Um, and if you're not a member at BC, um, you can still participate in that if you're a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, you, you shouldn't participate in it, because it's not for you. It's not, it doesn't apply to you. That The grace in, the, in that stuff doesn't apply to you, but it can. And so... If you're not a Christian, uh, I hope that you would um, recognize that you need Christ in order to experience these things. You need Christ, and He is God has provided uh, a way for you um, through Him to um, not perish and to ultimately uh, delight in Him. Which is like it's not just about not perishing; it's about delighting in God and having. And living according to how we were supposed to live, the, the, according to the original design, being in a relationship with God. And so uh, I don't want you to walk away feeling uh, like uh, condemned. My desire for anyone that's not a Christian here would be to walk away uh, with hope because you had become a Christian. <laughs> so if you have questions about that, if maybe I didn't articulate it well or whatever, please uh, talk to me or talk to somebody that here. Um, we would love to talk to you about that because that is what's happening in this passage. Um, and we're not saying we're better than anyone else because we were all in that same position. And um, ultimately, we needed Christ, and he provided the the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So I'm going to pray, and um, we're going to take in communion. I'm not sure if there's going to be another announcement regarding that or not, but I'm going to pray and uh, take time to, you know, examine your hearts in regard to this passage. Um, Really quickly, before I do that, I just want to make two last points. Um, For the Christians, um, this passage should cause us to respond in two ways. One, it should cause us to worship God, because this is amazing good news. Uh, The passage presents plenty of bad news, but the good news is, even though we couldn't live up to that standard of the righteous one, um, this is describing him. And we have that. And so that should cause us to worship Jesus. The second thing we should respond to is the warnings in here should cause us to want to share the gospel to Christians that we, or to non-Christians that we love. Um, and remind Christians that we love of these truths because we are prone to forget. Um, and so... Uh, we should delight in the Lord because of these things, these truths. And we should also proclaim the gospel to non-believers and believers because it is the good news. The bad news is apparent. You can watch the news, you know, turn on the TV. But this is the answer to that. And so that would be my encouragement to everyone here. And I would ask you to encourage me to do that as well. Dear God, I thank you for your word once again. And uh, thank you for... uh, speaking uh, today, and I pray that um, if there are any, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that you would just change their heart and turn their affections towards you, and that they would realize the futility in um, wicked counsel, and that they would ultimately uh, pursue you and know you for your glory, and I pray that you would help us to be ministers of the gospel in our community and elsewhere. I love you in your name. Amen.